We inform. Religious freedom is about people of faith being able to live out their faith, live out their convictions, no matter where they are. We equip. This is a battle of worldviews. And we activate. We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. This is AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome to AFA at the Core here on the American Family Radio Network. So good to be with you today. My name is Walker Wildman, and this is American Family Radio. More specifically, this is AFA at the Core, a show on the American Family Radio Network. AFA at the Core is the name of the show. And the uh, purpose behind naming this show AFA at the Core is so that uh, we can focus on the core values of the American Family Association. And uh, a great way to read up, and I would encourage each and every one of our listeners to do this, um, but a great way to read up on the core values and what we're all about here at AFA and AFR is to go to our website. Right on our website, you can go to the Who We Are tab, click on Mission, Vision, Values, there you'll have our mission statement, vision statement, and core values. Just to read this briefly, the vision of a American Family Association is to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. Our core values, they define and drive what we do here at AFA. Evangelism and discipleship, marriage and family, morality, that's biblical morality, sanctity of human life, stewardship, and Religious Liberty. Those are our six core values here at AFA. And American Family Radio, which you're listening to, is the broadcast uh, division of American Family Association. So that's the connection there. AFR, American Family Radio, falls under the AFA banner of operations here in our headquarters in uh, Northeast Mississippi. Our verse of the week, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 19 and 20, Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3, 19 and 20. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. That's uh, uh, talking in Proverbs about the Lord's creation, about his power and wisdom in founding the earth in his creation of the heavens and the earth as recounted in Genesis chapter 1. So that's our scripture for the week. Hey, we're going to have a great guest on here in a few minutes, Steve Stockman out of Texas. He's a former U.S. congressman out of the state of Texas, uh, been in the in the conservative movement, in the evangelical movement for years now, for decades, and he even's worked with my gran- my father and my grandfather uh, back in the 80s and 90s, so a very special person, and we're going to hear his testimony here in a few minutes. Uh, before we do that, I want to uh, talk about one story real quick, and then we'll jump back to it maybe in the last segment, but 3,000 doctors and scientists gathered, uh, not not all of these gathered, but many of these gathered in Rome, in Rome uh, about a week ago, and signed a physician's declaration. And one of the leaders of this movement is Dr. Robert Malone. He's the architect of the mRNA vaccine platform. Uh, so he's the brainchild of that entire technology, that medical technology. And they signed this Rome Declaration, uh, which is really calling out, in their words, um, uh, potential, quote, crimes against humanity 
uh, end quote, for preventing physicians from providing life-saving treatment for their patients and suppressing open scientific discussion. And so this is really in response. This is backlash uh, to what we've been seeing the past uh, 20 months, this overarching tyrannical movement put forth by the left, by the media, by the globalists, by the elites to squash any conversation and debate about COVID-19. We've been told it's a one-size-fits-all approach, top-down government approach, uh, from the experts in D.C. down to uh, the local level, we should just do what they say, no questions asked. And now we have over 3,000 doctors who have signed this, uh, doctors and scientists, by the way, that have signed this Rome Declaration. Um, and they are saying, wait a minute, hold up, wait a minute. Um, we've got to be very careful about this squashing of debate amongst the scientific and medical community. Uh, we need to be able to debate these issues and these treatments and this illness, we need to be able to debate the science and the research around it uh, instead of uh, taking this tyrannical um, uh, freedom-squashing approach to this entire situation. So that is the Rome Declaration. Um, Part of that movement is headed up by Dr. Robert Malone and several other uh, doctors that are heading up that declaration. So they are raising the alarm uh, there. And this whole thing is a moving goalpost. This entire situation is a moving goalpost, and I have a clip to prove that. Um, The clip is, uh, this is actually President Biden. Uh, This is clip three. Here's the president. Here's the question. If you can't hear it in the audio, I'm going to go and tell you what the question is. The question in this clip, President Biden is getting his booster shot, his third jab, and he is questioned by a reporter about how many Americans need to have the jab before America can get back to normal, clip three. Well, I think, look, I think we get the vast majority of what is going on in some of the, some industries and some schools, 97, 98%. I think we're going awful close, but I'm not the scientist. Uh, uh, I think, but one thing for sure, a quarter of the country can't go unvaccinated and us not continue to have a problem. All right. Well, here's here's the tranla- translation there. I know the audio was tough to hear there. But the reporter questioned the president on how many people need to get the jab in order to return back to normal. That's a question that pretty much everybody is wondering. We were told, uh, his answer, before I get too ahead of myself, his answer, he said 97 to 98% of Americans need to get the jab before we return to normal. All right. Talk about moving the goalpost. This has been going on from day one. Moving the goalpost, having no clear goal. That's why many people are frustrated. The goalpost has been moved again. During the campaign, President Biden, then candidate Biden, said we need 70%. That's my goal. That's my goal. And even even many people said that's a very aggressive goal. 70% of Americans need to have the jab. That's what he said during the campaign. Right there in the White House, he says, nope, 97 to 98%. And he he ended by saying, uh, it's unacceptable. It's, quote, unacceptable for for one quarter, for 25% of the American population to not get the jab. He said, that's, quote, unacceptable. We can't have that. Uh, The pandemic will not end if we have 25% of Americans uh, that can't get the jab. Um, so the moving goalpost continues to move there. 
And I'm just warning you folks out there who have been riding the fence on this, uh, the goalpost will continue to move. It will continue to move. We will get, mark my word, well, number one, we're not getting to 97 or 98%. That's pretty much physically impossible. But um, let's just say theoretically we did. All right? Let me tell you what the talking point will be then. We need the booster. 70% of people need the booster. That's when the, the pandemic will end. So, And then you do that, and then they'll say they need another round, another booster round three months later. So, folks, if you think th that you can listen to these folks and that, oh, you do all everything they say, and we'll just get out of this, and the shutdowns will end, and we'll all go back to normal, folks, that ain't going to happen. That ain't going to happen if these same people are in charge and if we're listening to them. If you don't believe me, uh, just start looking at the past 20 months. And I can, I can sit here for an hour and play clip after clip after clip of the goalpost being picked up by the left and moved down the field again and again. So uh, be careful who you trust there, and that, that applies in multiple scenarios. Hey, enough of me, enough of that. Uh, I have my brother Wesley Wildman in studio with us. I'm here. Early, but here, mm -hmm. and that's good. Nothing wrong with being early. Yeah. Wesley Wildman, Vice President of Outreach here uh, every Tuesday and Thursday. On the line with us, we have my good friend that I just got acquainted with closely, this past weekend, Steve Stockman, a former U.S. congressman from the state of Texas, extensive resume. Hey, Steve, welcome to AFA at the core. Well, thank you. And, and I want to add a caveat or, uh, to your statement. Uh, I have been in politics for a long, a long time. Actually, it seems like a brief time, but uh, really started, quite frankly, one of the things that started was with your grandfather, Don, who uh, wasn't just a pacifist. He actually encouraged us to get out there and, and uh, do all kinds of activities, not just sit in a church pew or, or listen to talk shows or whatever. Uh, we got out there, and um, thankfully for your grandfather, he had a vision and a commitment to uh, stand for traditional values and keep America uh, really uh, in line with God's vision. Mm. I really appreciate him. appreciate your whole family. Hey, man. Well, just to give a little background as to how this interview came about without going into too many details, I was at a, I was at an event this past weekend, and uh, you introduced yourself, Steve, and your wife, Patty. Uh, you introduced yourself, and everybody stood up and started applauding you. I mean, people were just so excited to see you, so excited for you to be at this event that I was with. Uh, and, and I, of course, haven't I, – I, I can't say I haven't heard of you and read your story because I know I have, um, and we'll get into that here in a minute, but – I started looking around and I asked the people I was with, I said, well, what makes this guy so important? Who is this guy right here <laughs> sitting behind me? And of course, I, I come to meet you and, and you tell me this entire story about my grandfather and my father, Tim Wildman, and how you've known them for a long, long time. Uh, but before we get into uh, uh, much of that, give our, give our listeners a little bit of your background when you got into the conservative movement, into the Christian movement here in America and where that started and kind of where you ended up as far as being a U.S. congressman. Well, I, I was, uh, uh, as a kid, I handed out Barry Goldwater stuff with my father. And then um, as I got older, I was interested in, in stopping the Marxist ideology. And one of the groups, of course, who was also in the fight for the conservative movement and broadened my mind on what conservatism was, was uh, your grandfather's organization, which at that time was not an American Family Association, but I got plugged into that, and he was advocating, you know, direct action, like demonstrations and things like that. And so we got along, and, and um, it was just really a, a ministry. Uh, 
and really impacted my life and and uh was really 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 great and from there I ended up getting elected to uh Young Conservatives of Texas as a state chairman and uh <laughs> worked hard at that fought the liberals on the campus worked for the leadership institute uh got elected when I was young to congress we defeated a, a gentleman who was there 42 years actually uh, all together over 50 years uh in Texas he was considered an institution and um but ultimately when I was in congress I uh, was on the whitewater committee and fought Clinton then mm. uh during the time of the leadership institute we had uh, James O'Keefe work for us and several other people where we did uh, investigative journalism and when I got in office again, I proceeded. Sorry, I proceeded to uh, continue that line of work of investigating and exposing uh, corruption, which, as you know, there's a lot of it. But one of the major things that the left doesn't like is truth, mm-hmm. and they don't like to be exposed. And anybody does that, whether it be the president of the United States, in this case, Trump, or other leaders like Michael Flynn, who did an excellent job. People don't know this. He did an excellent job of fighting the Obama administration and got fired for it because he was exposing Obama's ties to some pretty radical Islamic people in our government. Mm. So um, <laughs> when you take a stand, sometimes like Stephen in the Bible or Paul, you end up uh, people not liking you. But that's that's what the Bible prescribes. Amen. Hey, this is Wesley, uh, this is Congressman uh, Stockman. Uh, You said Mm -hmm. something in there about investigated journalism or something. What is is that again? I don't know if uh, uh, I'm 32, so you may have to be enlightening here. Uh, We're coming up to... It used to be be if you were either Democrat or Republican, if you you did something wrong, uh, 60 Minutes or somebody was there. Sure. Yes. Now, if you're a Democrat, you get a promotion, mm. and uh, you don't uh, you don't have to. I, I call it I, my, my joke, and you know, I make probably too many jokes, but uh, we, we mock it a little bit because it's like the Amex bill. You know, if you have your Democrat get out of jail card, don't leave home without it. <laughs> hey, Steve, I'm going to let you finish that thought. We got a break, about a two or three minute break. And we'll be back. Okay. Uh, hang on with us, Steve. we got Steve, Steve Stockman, former U.S. Congressman from the state of Texas. We'll be back in a few minutes. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. At the climax of the account, when Jesus restored Peter's personal relationship with him and Peter's call to ministry, he saw John following them. Jesus had just predicted that Peter would give his life for the gospel when Peter said, What about John, Lord? Jesus responded, What does he have to do with your calling? You follow me. With those words, Jesus hit a consistent flaw of the human condition. We derive value and self-worth by comparing ourselves to other people. Your ups, your downs, your failures, your victories were never meant to be compared to other people. We have been called to serve an audience of one. The only approval you need is His. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III. 
public policy analyst for the American Family Association. This is Raising Godly Girls Minute with Patty Garibay of American Heritage Girls. Kids lie when they feel like they can't be honest. Have you created a safe home environment that allows honesty? Or does your daughter lie to protect herself from your freakout? Shift your parenting away from setting your girl up to lie. Rather than asking, is your room clean? State, I noticed your room needs a good cleaning before we play this weekend. Similarly, refrain from asking her why she lied. While it can feel constructive to you as a parent, to your daughter, it could feel like an invitation to justify lying. Scripture reminds us time and time again that honesty is cherished in the eyes of God, and a loving environment is the most important element in a culture of honesty. We are all called to raise up the next generation of Christian leaders. You can learn more about empowering girls through the love of God at RaisingGodlyGirls.com. I'll say this, for the last three years, the markets have been doing really well. And some of you have stocks that have appreciated a great deal. Just keep going up, 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 up. Now, you know, if you sell that stock, you've got to pay capital gains tax. Here's a way you can avoid it. You can move that stock into your charitable remainder trust. And you can make contributions throughout the year to your charitable remainder trust. If you move that stock, the charitable remainder trust is now gonna sell the stock and you won't have to pay any capital gains. The full value of that stock will be able to stay in the remainder trust and you'll be able to receive income for the rest of your life from that. Call the AFA Foundation. 800-326-4543, 800-326-4543, extension 345, or go to afafoundation.net. AFA at the Core podcast are available at afr.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome back to AFA at the core here on the American Family Radio Network. Walker Wildman here in studio with my brother Wesley Wildman um, on uh, each Tuesday and Thursday here on the show AFA at the core. Hey, on the line we have Steve Stockman, former U.S. congressman from the state of Texas, uh, telling his story about his connections to the early days of uh, National Federation for Decency, which is what my grandfather founded Back in 1977, later the name changed to American Family Association, which you know today. Um, but we're going through Steve's testimony. And Steve, where we ended was uh, you being elected to the U.S. Congress and and serving as U.S. Congressman during the Obama days, during the Obama administration. Tell us a little bit about how you got in trouble there. Well, I first served in the 90s in the Clinton administration and was on the Whitewater Committee. and. Um, Clinton's described me as a horrible man, which <laughs> is really an honor. <laughs> you know, you're known by your enemies. Mm. And then I got reelected after I took care of my father. Uh, Twenty years later, I was, I was well. I was, my father got dementia. And I was taking care of him. When I got reelected um, to Congress, I committed to conservative, godly principles. Um, we had prayer in our office uh, every morning, or tried to, and we. Um, really served uh, the people. But one of the things we did is we continued to expose uh, uh, corruption, and one of them was the the millions of dollars that was given for Bo Borgdahl and also five terrorists 
uh, the, but the money was paid out to what's called the Haqqani Network. Without going too much into it, it's an extreme terrorist group who now is partly in control of Afghanistan. Mm. And uh, then we also exposed Hillary Clinton selling specialized steel that makes centrifuges to uh, to Iran, the, her biggest donor, uh, Ukraine oligarch. And uh, that, that actually is uh, outrageous, and um, it only got one little press coverage. The press, you know, has a way of monitoring the people they don't like. They, they you know, they, they evaporate. They disappear them. Hmm. And we would do all this stuff, and I thought, boy, this is big news. It's going to make the press. And it didn't. But one thing that did kind of stand out is when um, Lois Lerner started attacking conservative groups. And the way she did that is through the IRS, and it would have really impacted AFA, um, pro-life groups, everyone uh, was open up to, and still is, I might add, uh, potential criminal penalties for things that the DOJ, Department of Justice, determines wrong. And that could be politically wrong. That could be anything they decide is wrong. And this under this new bill, H.R. 1, would codify what they did to me and put it into law, which would be um, really detrimental to what you guys are doing. And um, it's really alarming. But anyhow, I exposed her. Lois Lerner started going after her pretty aggressively. And I was on um, a national news, uh, Fox News, and I called for her arrest because she uh, really uh, violated you know, contempt of Congress, and I wanted to hold her accountable, like the Democrats do to Republicans. But Republicans are not the same way as Democrats are. And so two weeks after I appeared on um, the Kelly Files on Fox, I got a uh, door knock on my door. It was the FBI, and then they spent... Uh, Twenty-two million dollars, uh, four and a half years, yep. and four grand juries. Yep. Um, none of the grand juries wanted to uh, indict me until that. You know, they kept getting better and better as they each each grand jury they <laughs> weeded out the people that mm. uh, didn't perform the way they liked. Wow. Hey, this is Wesley here. If you would just for a moment go back a little bit to the story of uh, Bo Birdall because that's a story that I do remember pretty uh, specifically, and he went AWOL and. To the way I understood what y'all discovered and what y'all were able to expose is that the money that we gave in order to release him and the t- and the terrorists, that money you're saying went back to a terrorist group. Is that what I'm hearing? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's called it. The last name of a lot of the uh, terrorists uh, that are the hierarchy is called Haqqani. Um, if you go and look at the leadership in the um, in the Taliban and Haqqani are two. Actually, they're they're similar. Don't get me wrong, but it's the difference between, you know, different groups. And so Haqqani is a terrorist group, and they always ask for ransom. And we exposed Obama. He first denied it, and then they finally admitted that they they did it for um, not dollars but euros. Well, so we negotiated with terrorists. Paid them. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, Obama did. In fact, ironically, if you think about it, uh, we prosecuted people uh, for giving money to Hamas. There's a Dallas organization that mm-hmm. got prosecuted for giving them Hamas. And yet Obama did that. He gave them hundreds of millions of dollars or tens of millions. Steve, and he Steve, did the same thing with the Haqqanis. Yeah, Steve, t- tell us one more time how Obama did that because many people miss that. How did he skirt U.S. law? Well, he didn't really skirt well, it, but he well, tried yeah, to. Yeah, what he did, what we figured out, because I, first of all, I have uh, been in 
internet. I was on the international committee, uh, foreign affairs committee, and I have um, a lot of different contexts. And we pieced it together that the, that he paid the Hikani. So what we did is we did a press release accusing him of paying him, and at first they denied it, and then they finally admitted that they paid him. But they said it didn't violate the law because it was euros, not dollars. <laughs> <laughs> I'm this, not kidding. Yeah. This stuff, these folks, they think we're fools. Yeah, um, but, yeah but. and the press went along with it. The press, you know, when it came to Obama, it, you know, he's just like, it's like Bill Clinton said, he smoked it but didn't inhale. <laughs> Come on, that's so absurd. <laughs> you and know, they just go along with it. Yeah, and Steve, that's that's something that got, you know, the, the media did not cover that. Uh, they just covered the Bo Bergdahl trade. We can't, right. we, did, didn't, was it they five checked. terrorists or four or five? Uh, yes, it, is. it was. And the thing is, no, they did not cover the money part. But if you go back, I could send you, you could post them. Some of my old press releases and, um, uh, you know, where we went after uh, Obama and that. Uh, I keep wanting to call him Biden, by the way. <laughs> but uh, we, 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 we really pitched it. And uh, it, you, you got to realize, I think it was, uh, well, I can send you a clip of that, too. They called me a thorn in the side of Obama, the number one person like I brought um I knew they were gonna do this big gun control thing so we brought Ted Nugent who's a rock star and all that an NRA member to the uh, State of the Union and, and it overwhelmed the press stories and he didn't get the, the win he wanted. So there there's there's a lot of things he that you know, Obama was angry at. We we did other things like we would call blue slipping. We blue slip both the immigration and the gun bills because in the Constitution only the House can create taxes and and these two bills the senate created the tax so mm. it's it's a procedural move, movement and boy it, not just democrats but i had republicans uh, angry at me too because so. you were actually fighting back wesley yeah. yeah yeah someone said i was trump before there was trump <laughs> <laughs> yes. that's yes. a compliment that is for sure yeah. hey uh defend a dot com is uh, uh our guest's website also too in the process of these things that you said that you discovered uh, during your time and you began to expose them, and you did so for quite some time before you got in just a whole lot of trouble, what led to, for our audience, let them know what ultimately was the outcome of your pursuit for truth? Well, like I said, after I appeared on national TV calling for the arrest of Lois Lerner, who really was, I've been told by multiple people, absolutely hates Christians and uh and hates the conservative movement. In fact, she worked at the Federal Election Commission and went after me there, too. But once I appeared on that, two weeks later, I had the FBI at my door, and that triggered an investigation that lasted four and a half years. And uh, they were subpoenaing everybody, including a, a car mechanic who worked on my car 10 years prior to the to me um, ever me. being investigated. So it was a pretty incredible amount of... Uh, harassment and it sure. it really depleted our income and i mean that's what the purpose is to silence you yes and so um uh and so how long did you spend in jail well i was in prison, prison. i was sentenced actually uh at the end of the at the end of the <laughs> you're not gonna believe this but at the end of the trial i was up for 283 years in prison and I told my wife, I don't think I'm only going to serve half. <laughs> hey, Steve, Steve, let me let me give our listeners a little bit of, 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 of a 60-second backgrounder here. Because if they're just now tuning in, which often happens with radio in your vehicle, 
Uh, we're talking to Steve Stockman, former U.S. Congressman out of the state of Texas, served uh, not only during the 90s, during the Clinton administration, but also served during the Barack Obama days. And he went after and tried to have accountability for the IRS and Lois Lerner, amongst many other scandals in Washington. And as a result of, of, of going after Lois Lerner, trying to hold the IRS accountable, the FBI, the Obama Department of Justice, the Obama FBI, came after Steve Stockman, came knocking on his door two weeks later after going after Lois Lerner, and then launched this campaign finance investigation into you, Steve, and they dug up anything and everything they could to put you in prison. So you get you go through you go through four grand juries, and on the fourth grand jury, uh, the Obama DOJ finally gets you convicted, and no, then indicted, indicted. I'm, I'm sorry, indicted. And and how many years did they end up sentencing you to? Well, we one of the things I want to tell you, we went to trial, and the judge ruled I couldn't bring up any political stuff during the trial, which is like, <laughs> you know, we're having a food fight, we can't talk about cooks. You know? <laughs> It was really bizarre, and she she actually barred me from saying the word Lois Lerner. And one time when we said the word Lois Lerner, she said, strike that from the record. You know, she got real upset. So it wasn't a fair fight at all. But ultimately, the judge gave me, which is the normal time would have been 18 months um, for what they convicted me of, but she gave me 10 years. And uh, God was gracious, and I think... Uh, really brought me closer to him and brought me closer to my wife. Oh, As I stated to you at that meeting, I stood up and said, I'm not supposed to be here, which is absolutely true. But my wife, who's a devoted Christian, was amazing. And, and your family and a lot of other Christians stepped up, uh, even Craig Shirley and some others that really uh, pulled for me. And then three days before Christmas, what a blessing God gave me was to uh, have. Trump commute, not not pardon, commute. I always tell people I was pardoned 2,000 years ago. but um, Wow, amen. Commuted my sentence, and uh, at first they were telling me they were going to throw me in the shoe, which means solitary, and for Christmas. And I was saying, oh, Lord, what do you put me through now? And then they came up to me a half hour later and said, no, you're going home. Hmm. And it was a really answer to prayer, and it strengthened my belief in God. It strengthened my relationship with my wife. And, uh, you know, it's hard for me to talk about really what happened to me during that period of time. But, um, like I said, I wasn't supposed to be here, but because of it's truly an answer to prayer, people, people wonder if God answers prayer. He does answer prayer, but you have to, you have to be in the word and you have to really study the word and and be close to him. You can't, uh, always blame it on God. You gotta blame it on yourself if something's not going right. Well, Steve, this is Wesley again, and you have these, just the ultimate uh, story or testimony of being faithful in the midst of great uh, pressure and um, and attacks. What was it, and how were you able to overcome this? Because this is not a flat tire. I mean, this is not a bad day. Mm-hmm. I mean, you are you have the target of the enemy and the full force of the government coming after you just for the simple fact that you are exercising your First Amendment and, and your free speech, your, your, your liberty to do investigation and present uh, what you find to the public. How were you able to, to maintain that path? Because very few Christians do, and we live in a culture, unfortunately, in America where we have too many Christians who, um, who fold and make, and make all kind of excuses why they can't be faithful or remain, you know, that they talk their stuff out of it. So what was it for you that allowed you to spend 
the t- knowing that you were going to spend time in prison? I, I think that uh, really the, the foundation, the biblical foundation, and also knowing that I, I thought about, frankly, about others who went before me. Yep. When my mother mm-hmm. named me, she named me after Stephen. I used to joke, I said, Mom, did you see what happened to Stephen? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. He got stoned, but from that stoning, we had Saul, and Saul became Paul. So as you go through trials and tribulations, God, uh, like a piece of coal, you probably heard this before, but like you put a piece of coal under pressure and you create a diamond. And, and I, I really feel that uh, I hated going through it. I don't recommend everybody can cross it off their bucket list. But yes. <laughs> prison was a very challenging time, but it also brought me closer to God. It also brought me closer to my wife. And you asked what brought me through. Really, it was God yeah. and, um, and his mercy, really. Steve, uh, I can't end this interview. We got about a minute left before the music starts. I can't end this interview with asking you if you had FM radio in your prison cell. Oh, you listen, you guys, AFA was like the station I listened to all the time. And under COVID, we were restricted. We couldn't go to church. We couldn't do a lot of things. In fact, I gained 30 pounds, as you probably saw. <laughs> I always tell people it was body built by dominoes, but it was really built by COVID. I got COVID in the prison, and my one saving grace was to hear uh, AFA radio, hear you guys show. And ironically, during the day, I didn't. Um, that's when I slept a lot of times to avoid um, some problems in prison, which I won't go into. So I stayed up at night, and I listened to our friend uh, Parker, who's a great minister, and I listened to him praying, I listened to David Barton. Of course, we listen to every show we can on AFA, because it really feeds your soul. And if you guys ever want to know this, in prison, AFA radio was listened to by a lot of guys, in particular during the the, uh, lockdown. And I shared it with as many people as I could. And uh, you don't need to testify. You just say, hey, listen to this. You know, Frank Gaffney show. In fact, Patty won't let me listen to Frank Gaffney, because he comes out of late at night and then she can't sleep (laughs) (laughs) yeah hey this is wesley again i can testify because i have a inbox full on the on the door of my on the uh basket of my door with envelopes full of handwritten letters from people that are in prison so we do have a great prison uh ministry as well amen hey steve uh god bless you brother so glad we got to uh, meet each other and more formally this past weekend we'll have you on again sometime all right, we sure appreciate you, and we'll be praying for you, and we'll be praying for the station. Amen. And uh, continue to do the good work. I think we're heading in trouble wires, and God's going to carry us through. Amen. Thanks, Steve. AFA at the core. I'm Walker Wildman. We'll be back in just a few minutes. One of the most controversial topics in Christianity today is homosexuality. The Bible is clear about it, but the world has been relentless in its attempts to shift our views, and that's caused confusion and increased pressure to bow to the culture. In his Engage Magazine article, Homosexuality Comes to the Church, Standing Firm in a Culture that Embraces Chaos, M.D. Perkins gives scripture to dispel the lies of the world. Sign up for your complimentary copy today at engagemagazine.net. In His Image, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality. I loved it. I loved how biblically sound it was, all the scripture to back it up. The testimonies were very powerful. 
if it's a prodigal child that has just run away or one that's caught up in same-sex attraction. There's hope in Jesus. In His Image is now available on DVD and can be purchased in bulk to pass out to friends and family. Order today by visiting afastore.net. Aria is suffering for the gospel. Hey, it's Michael Woolworth with Bible League International. Aria lives in the Middle East in a radical Muslim family. She accepted the invitation of a Christian friend to attend a weekly Bible study and eventually received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. She took her Bible study booklet home, hiding it in her room before her mother found it and gave it to her father. He beat young Aria nearly to death and called the officials to report her as an infidel. They took her to a remote cell where they assaulted her and the Christian friend and eventually let them go. Now, these two women, they didn't grow bitter. They grew bold, and together they've seen hundreds come to Christ in the Middle East where it's nearly impossible to get a Bible. And that's why Bible League is inviting you to send God's Word to Bibleist believers around the globe at only $5 a Bible. $100 sends 20, every gift matched. Call 800 Yes Word. 800 Yes Word, or click sendbiblesnow.org. That's sendbiblesnow.org. And God bless you for caring. Steve Russo with Real Answers. Do you realize how fortunate you really are? Stop and think about it. If you woke up this morning with more health than illness, you are more blessed than the million people who won't survive the week. If you have never experienced the danger of battle, the loneliness of imprisonment, the agony of torture, or the pangs of starvation, you are ahead of 20 million people around the world. If you attend a church meeting without fear of harassment, arrest, torture, or death, you are more blessed than almost 3 billion people in the world. If you have food in your refrigerator, clothes on your back, a roof over your head, and a place to sleep, you are richer than 75% of this world. You are so fortunate in so many ways that you may never even realize or fully understand. For real answers to real issues, log on to Steve's website, www.realanswers.com. AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome to AFA at the Core on the American Family Radio. Rather, welcome back in studio with us here on American Family Radio. I'm Walker Wildman. We had Steve Stockman, former U.S. congressman, out of the great state of Texas on with us, telling us his testimony about he fought, how he fought the swamp, exposed the lies and deception going on in Washington, D.C., and he was targeted because of that by the Obama uh, Federal Bureau of Investigation and sentenced to 10 years in prison. He was indicted and sentenced to 10 years in prison um, by the Obama Department of Justice and was commuted. His sentence was commuted by President Trump just in December. This past December, his sentence was commuted a couple of days before Christmas by President Trump. And many people in the uh, Christian movement in the evangelical movement, dozens fought to have Steve sentence, uh, Steve sentence commuted. My my father Tim Wildman uh, wrote personal letters to President Trump, uh, and and dozens of others, uh, great warriors in the in the Christian movement. Uh, so not just us here, but there were many others that really spearheaded this, uh, that deserve all kind of credit. Uh, Richard Vigory is one of those leaders that deserves credit. So. Uh, many people fought. His wife, Patty, fought on his behalf. Uh, he was telling me she would drive four hours one way to visit him in prison and then four hours back home 
uh, just so she could see her husband all by herself. And uh, uh, she was truly a fighter for her husband, Steve. Um, I'm going to get his website for you uh, after the show. I just text Steve during the break. Uh, once I get, if he has a website, Wesley mentioned a URL, and that is a website with information about Steve. Uh, but I want to make sure I get you Steve's website that he runs because uh, there's a lot of links out there to Steve Stockman's story. So I'm going to get that for you after the show. If there's a website out there, I can send you to. And uh, Bobby, my producer, will post that on our website, AFR.net, under the AFA at the Core podcast for today, um, September 28th. 2021, uh, the podcast from today on our website, AFR.net. That's the place where you can get that link uh, after the show. Uh, jumping into uh, a couple other stories, or one other story specifically, I've been hearing people around me and people uh, in the um, social media universe and on um, uh, talk shows, etc., talk about um, Bill Gates, a uh, well-known billionaire Bill Gates, and, you know, he was the founder, one of the founders of Microsoft Corporation, massive multi-billion dollar corporation, and he's done several other things, but um, everybody knows Bill Gates. Well, um, I kept hearing people talk about um, Bill Gates and his, um, his efforts and his agenda that is, these are in his words, that are aimed at reducing the world's population of people. Um, I've heard people talk about that in passing, but I've never really studied it myself. I've never really looked into it. Um, so this morning I decided, well, I'm just going to find out what's behind this. Uh, what's going on here? Where did this come from, this uh, theory or this conversation? So I went back to where this originated, at least one of the places. I went back to a TED Talk. I went back to a TED Talk in 2009 done by, uh, well, this is technically 2010, but 2010 TED Talk done by Bill Gates himself. So he did this 30, 45-minute TED Talk on carbon emissions, CO2, and all of the factors that are needed to reduce carbon emission. This is all about the global warming climate change hoax that drives a lot of policies uh, with the elites. Um, so I'm going to just play these clips. I'm just going to play him talking. And, 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 and mark my word, this is not out of context or there's got to be more to the story, Walker. I watched the entire TED Talk. This is context, all right? The, the topic of discussion is what can be done by humans to reduce carbon emissions and get them down to zero. That's their goal, to get them down to zero. One of the factors is population, and this is in his own words. One of the factors is population, but before we get to the population clip, uh, this is clip four, part one of the Bill Gates clip, the TED Talk back in 20, 2010, about reducing carbon emissions. Clip four, let's listen. And there's certainly uncertainty about how bad those effects will be, but they will be extremely bad. I asked the top scientists in this several times, do we really have to get down to near zero? Can't we just cut it in half or a quarter? And the answer is that until we get near to zero, the temperature will continue to rise. And so that's, that's a big challenge. It's very different than saying, you know, we're a 12-foot high truck trying to get under a 10-foot bridge and we can just sort of squeeze under. This is something that has to get to zero. 
Now, we put out a lot of carbon dioxide every year, over 26 billion tons. For each American, it's about 20 tons. For people in poor countries, it's less than one ton. It's an average about five tons for everyone on the planet. And somehow we have to make changes that will bring that down to zero. All right, that's his words. That's Bill Gates' words. Somehow we have to bring that, we have to do things to bring that number down to zero is what he said. What's the number? The carbon emissions number. All right, this is his whole TED Talk. That's what it's all focused on. Well, part of that, um, the first the first part of his formula to get CO2 emissions down to zero, uh, the first part of his formula, as I mentioned, is the population. Uh, he goes on this spiel about the population, how it's too big, and how we got to get the number of people on the planet Earth. We got to get that number down. Remember, this is 10 years ago, folks, or 11 years ago. This is 2010, a TED Talk by Bill Gates. Well, uh, this is part two. This is uh, about... Uh, CO2 emissions and how we need to get the number of people on planet Earth down, down, down. Clip five, let's listen. It's been constantly going up. It's only various economic changes that have even flattened it at all. So we have to go from rapidly rising to falling and falling all the way to zero. This equation has four factors, a little bit of multiplication. So you've got a thing on the left, CO2, that you want to get to zero. And that's going to be based on the number of people, the services each person's using on average, the energy on average for each service, and the CO2 being put out per unit of energy. So let's look at each one of these and see how we can get this down to zero. Probably one of these numbers is going to have to get pretty near to zero. That's back from high school algebra. But let's, let's take a look. All right. Well, he said... He said one of these numbers in his equation is going to have to get down to zero. One of these numbers is going to have to get down to zero. So the four numbers you have is you have people, services, energy, and CO2. People, services, energy, and CO2. The first thing he's talking about is people. People on planet Earth. All right. How do you get people, the, the population, to go down? Well... There's a couple different ways, but one of the ways is for people to stop having babies or through abortion. All right, so this, folks, this whole idea uh, or this conversation about um, many people on the left and many of the globalist elites that are all wigged out over this climate change hoax, um, the, 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 the idea or the thought that they are driven by reducing the population and one of the ways they want to do that is through killing babies, through abortion, and what they call reproductive rights, that is not a conspiracy theory, okay? Their, their view of the world, that there are too many people on planet Earth, drives them to be in favor of policies such as killing babies. That's on the record, that's in the public, that's out there. He even says it in this speech. He calls it reproductive health, but it's a.k.a. abortion or, more truthful, killing babies in the womb. That's one of their multifaceted approach to reduce the world population, all in the name of climate change and sustainability. That's the overall selling point of this theory. Of this, It's actually a belief system is what it is. Um, and so, uh, and, and they, can, they can make this sound good. They can use all kind of talking points, all kind of arguments, all kind of theoreticals, to make this sound very noble and righteous, because here's what they say. They say, you know, if, if we want to have people on this earth, 
uh, you know, in 100 years, in 200 years, if we want this earth to still be here and not destroyed by climate change, then we've got to enact these policies. We've got to take appropriate uh, steps in their, in their, this is their words, appropriate steps and measures for sustainability so that our planet, this planet can be here forever, so that humans can live on this planet forever. That's their justification at all of these policies. That's what gets behind the electric vehicles. Uh, that's what gets behind reducing carbon, carbon emissions, making you and I ride bikes to work instead of being able to ride a, ride a vehicle. Uh, this drives them, folks. This is, this is the driving force uh, for what they believe. The last clip I'm going to play, and this is the bombshell. Uh, here is Bill Gates telling us what uh, different tools he would like to use to reduce the world's population. Clip six, let's listen. First, we've got population. The world today has 6.8 billion people. That's headed up to about 9 billion. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, health care, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15%. But there we see an increase of uh, about 1.3. All right, folks, that's not doctored. That clip's not doctored. As a matter of fact, all three clips that I brought on the show today were consecutive clips. There's no gaps in between where he said stuff that I didn't play on the show. From clip one to clip three that I just played, those are all cut up right one after another. The only reason we cut them up that way is so that I can insert and talk in between them. But that is, I could put that together into one long clip, and you would hear exactly what you just heard there. But he ended by saying this. First... We've got population. That's the P in his formula. And I'm going to post a link to this TED Talk on my podcast page at AFR.net. So you go watch the TED Talk yourself. Don't just take my word for it. Uh, Bill Gates says at the 4 minute and 21 second mark there, he says, first, we've got population. The world today has 6.8 billion people. That's headed up to about 9 billion. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, healthcare reproductive health services, a.k.a. abortion, we could lower that number, not raise the number of people on the planet through healthy practices. We could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15%. But there, we see an increase of about 1.3, 1.3 billion, he's saying. So he's saying even if we reduce the world's population through vaccines, healthcare, reproductive health, uh, we lower it by 10 to 15%. That's still is seeing an increase of 1.3 billion people, he's saying there. And remember, this is back in 2010. Um, and so what on earth does he mean there? Nobody interrupted him during this TED Talk. Nobody, I don't, I don't know if any media uh, uh, outlets asked him questions after the event, but I'm going to play this again because this is important, folks. The uh, Bill Gates is talking about why, uh, how he can, how he and others can reduce the world's population and by which means they can do that all in the name of climate change. Let's listen to this. First, we've got population. The world today has 6.8 billion people. That's headed up to about 9 billion. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, health care, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15%. But there we see an increase of uh, about 1.3. How can you lower the world's population by 10 to 15% through vaccines, healthcare, and reproductive services? Okay, that's what he just said. Vaccines, healthcare, 
and reproductive services, a.k.a. abortion. Okay, I get how you can reduce the world's population via killing babies. That's like science 101 or life 101. You kill a baby in the womb, and then that's one less person that's going to be born onto the earth. And that's a very sick, twisted ideology. And that should be gone unsaid, but it needs to be said over and over again. But the other two, the, the, the killing babies, you know, it's sick, it's, it's disgusting, but I can, I can go, okay, that would reduce the world's population if y'all kill a bunch of babies like you're doing now. But the other two, through healthcare and vaccines, once again, how do you reduce the world's population through healthcare and vaccines? And I'm not even going to try to answer that. I'm not even going to try to answer that. I'm going to let you try to answer that. I'm going to let you, the listening audience, and you, the American public, think through how on earth you can logically, ethically, and morally use vaccines and healthcare to reduce the world's population. There's only two ways to reduce the world's population. I just mentioned it. You can kill people or you can prevent people from being born, which some of those go hand in hand. But you can either uh, do the whole birth control stop people from even having babies, from conceiving babies, you can go that route, or you can kill babies in the womb. Or I guess theoretically you could kill people who are already out of the womb, people who are already uh, alive on planet Earth. Um, so that's bizarre. That's weird. What on Earth is he talking about? So when people talk about they're concerned about Bill Gates wanting to basically kill people to reduce the world's population in the name of climate change on his own by his own words, what does he mean by that? And by the way, let me just add this. Bill Gates is a major funder of all the vaccines, uh, not all of the vaccines, of some of the vaccines. He fund his foundation, the Gates Foundation funds all kinds of jabs, all kinds of shots. Take that into perspective as well. We'll cover this more tomorrow. See you then. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.